He loves me, and I know that, because they put a little chocolate thing up here on the podium. <laughs> Did any of you get those? That's because we love you. Um, this morning's message is so important, just talking about love, and uh, we know that Satan doesn't want that to happen, because we've had all kinds of technical difficulties today, and all kinds of things this week. So normally we stream on the website, on Facebook, and on YouTube. And this week we're streaming only on our website. So anyway, that's just some fun information. But I do want to just say happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Um, I love Valentine's Day. And I, when, we, when, when our kids were growing up, when our family was young, I used to get our kids uh, Valentine's Day things. You know, every, every year I'd get our girls Valentine's Day things. I'd get our boys Valentine's Day things. And it was really cool because... I would come home and I would get to find out what I got him. It was awesome. <laughs> Michelle was the, uh, the magic Valentine's Day fairy. And that hasn't, that hasn't ended. I came, I came home this week and found out that I got Michelle two dozen roses for Valentine's Day. Man, I, uh, I was so happy with myself. I did such a good job. Um, but I, I just, I just want to say uh, I hope that you guys have a great Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day is about love. It's about true love. And that's what we're going to be addressing this morning. I read a story about this, uh, this old couple, and it's the secret to a loving, happy marriage. And so I, I want you guys to hear this. It's so good. So there was once a man and a woman who'd been married for more than 60 years. They shared everything. They talked about everything. They had no secrets from each other, except that the, old, the little old woman had a shoebox on the top of her closet that she'd cautioned her husband, never open it and never ask me about it. Well, um, for all those years, he never thought about that box. And one day the little old woman got very sick and the doctor told her, you are not going to recover. And uh, they were trying to sort out their affairs. And the old man took down the shoebox, took it to his wife to her bedside, and she agreed, okay, it's time for you to know what is in this box. And when he opened it, he found two crocheted little doilies and $25,000. And he said, okay, I've got to know what is the deal with these, this contents. And she said, well, when we were married, my grandmother told me the secret of a loving marriage was to never argue. So grandma gave some good advice. Um, that advice I don't think was given to me or anybody in my family, but that was some good advice that was given. She told me that if I ever got angry with you, I should just keep quiet and crochet a doily. You know, that little old man, he was so moved. He looks at this box, and after all these years of marriage, two doilies. And, uh, man, it just about brought him to tears as he thought about, you know, only two doilies. She'd only been married, uh, only been angry with him twice in their entire marriage. And then he says, so um, where'd the money come from? And she says, that's the money I made selling doilies. <laughs> yeah, I, I read this, uh, this prayer. It says, dear Lord, this is a prayer from a wife on Valentine's Day. Dear Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my man. Love to forgive him, patience for his moods. Because, Lord, if I prayed for strength, I'd beat him to death. <laughs> you know, all people are hard to love sometimes. 
I don't care who you are, there are times that it is hard to love you. Um, but there are some people that are hard to love all the time. Um, you know, today's a day that um, in our culture that we celebrate love, we celebrate romance. And I thought it would be a really good opportunity for us to consider what God says about love. You know, uh, this is Valentine's Day. So if you're married or you're in a dating relationship, you know, Valentine's Day is for you. Um, but you know that there are elements of God, of love, that God intends to be uniquely expressed in marriage and in a romantic relationship. Um, there, there are things that are unique to marriage. That is an incredible gift that God has given mankind. And uh, the, the issue is, though, that our culture has a complete misunderstanding of what love is. Um, love is so important, and Satan has attacked it, he has redefined it, and he's polluted it. And the reality is that there are some things that are unique about love and marriage. But the foundation for love and marriage is what God says about love. It is actually who God is and how God has loved us and if you have a good marriage, it is founded on the love that is described in Scripture. The same love that God calls us to have toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, the same love that is to be expressed in the church, is the foundation for love in marriage, for love in a dating relationship, for love anywhere. There's not like different kinds of love. There's a foundational element of love and granted unique parts in marriage. But what's so sad is that Satan has destroyed love and he has taken love and actually polluted it to the point that it destroys people, it destroys marriages, it destroys life. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a step back and we are going to think about what God says about marriage. You know, I've heard uh, many people say uh, love is an action, it's a commitment. It has nothing to do with feelings. And I would just, we'll talk about this more, but I would say that is, that is not true. Um, love is not just feelings, but love includes feelings. And I think about all the times and places in scripture where feelings are commanded. I'll give you one example. This is, this is just because it's Valentine's Day, so it's for all you married folks. But um, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 19, it ends by saying, um, always be intoxicated, exhilarated, captured. Be always exhilarated with her love. Solomon is telling his kids, his sons, you need to always be in love with your wife. And the, the same is true for wives. You need to always be in love with your husbands. And when our emotions are not where they should be, when they are not what they should be, um, that doesn't, we don't just live based on emotions. But when you don't have emotions in the relationships that God has called you to have emotions, you figure out how to have emotions. And that's a sermon for a whole nother day. But we're going to start right here by just saying, what are, what are the foundational things that God says about what love is and what it should be? Now, for Christians, um, love is significant, right? 
I mean, Jesus said that to love God and love others is a summary of everything in Scripture. Um, it is, did you know that when you think about this, God's love for you is your greatest treasure. It is God's greatest promise to us. Think about John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Think about 1 John four ten. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or Romans 5, 8, where it says that God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or 1 John 4, 8, how about this? Um, 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You know, we have relationships that have all kinds of difficulties and challenges, and what it comes down to is people don't understand God's love, and they don't live out God's love. And as believers, this is, this is how important this is. If we don't love the way God tells us to, it actually says it's because you don't know God. Like that is part of being a Christian is to love people. And I would say there is no greater weakness in relationships. There is no greater weakness in the church. There is no greater weakness in families than the lack of love, a lack of love. And so this morning we are going to jump into this and we're going to consider what God says. So um, we're going to see three things this morning. The first one is that true love, and we're going to be talking about true love because our, our, our culture and our society always talks about true love. You remember Princess Bride, right? And, and so with Princess Bride, it was just like, oh my goodness, true love, that, that never happens ever. And everybody has this idea of what true love is, but I just want you to know that true love is love the way God has described it. So that's what true love is. We're gonna find out that it is the greatest priority. True love is essential. Nothing you do in your life matters if you don't put God's love as an ingredient in it. We're going to see that true love is definable. You know, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, you can't define love. Everybody knows how it feels, but you can't define it. And I would just say God defines love, and he defines it by describing the heart behind it, but he also just describes its actions, And so we're going to see that love is definable. We can say this is love and this isn't love. And then we're going to see that true love is ultimate. It's ultimate in two senses. Um, One is that it is going to last forever. True love is eternal. There are things about the Christian life that are not eternal, but love is eternal. And we're going to see that love is the greatest when it talks about qualities in a Christian's life, love is the greatest quality. And uh, so we'll see how Satan takes that and twists it and turns it and makes it mean something that it doesn't mean. And we're going to focus on seeing what God intends. And so 1 Corinthians, uh, first, this, the, the greatest love chapter is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go to 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to just tell you about 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote it. 
about 20 years after Christ died. Now, this church was a divisive church. Uh, this was a church that had all kinds of problems. They were always fighting with each other. They were troubled. They, and here's what's crazy about the First Corinthian church. They prided themselves in being loving. Uh, when, when, a, when somebody came into their midst that was in sin, just living in blatant disregard for God, the church just said, oh, no, we accept everybody. And we're loving. We're non-judgmental. And, and they disregarded what God said. They prided themselves in being loving. And the truth is they were the opposite of loving. And all kinds of conflicts, fights, divisions. Their marriages were in trouble. Uh, they, in talking about using gifts, there was all kinds of gifts there, but the gifts that they used, their spiritual gifts, the way that they functioned, and the way that they did ministry was completely separate from what God says about love. And so Paul's talking about using gifts in the church. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he goes on to talk about the use of spiritual gifts. And so the, I just want you to know that this passage comes in the middle of how we function as the body of Christ and what God calls us to do. And so uh, when it comes to feelings, true love is not divorced from feelings. And true love is not defined by feelings, and it is not driven by feelings. Feelings don't define love. Feelings are a part of it. And so let's, uh, let's jump in here. Now, this word for love that's used in our passage um, it is the most used word for love in the New Testament. By the way, in Greek culture, this word was rarely used. You've all heard it. Um, somebody shout out, what, what's the Greek word? Who knows the Greek word for love? Okay, agape. Man, everybody said it. Now, not just like the Greek scholar people. You all know it. So I'm not going to get into that. This is agape love. It's the most uh, used word in scripture, and also it's related to other words. So let's just jump in here, and let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to see that true love is the greatest priority. Another way that we could say that is that true love is essential. True love is essential. It is an essential part of your life. So let's read. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, um, okay, does that say love is essential, that it's a priority? 
Like I, I think about the things that are in this list, the tongues of men and angels. Um, by the way, we're going to go so quick over so many things here. There's a lot to do with spiritual gifts. There's all, what, what is the tongue of angels and all those things. And I'm not going to bog down in any of some of those theological things. Um, but I want to tell you that the, if I have the voice of men and angels, that, that's talking about a wonderful, beautiful voice. And there's a whole lot more that we could talk about in that regard. But it's just saying, if you have an amazing voice, if you communicate in an incredible way, if you are a gifted speaker, a gifted singer, if what you do with your mouth is just beautiful and amazing, but you don't have love, you are a clanging cymbal and a noisy gong. You know, you read through the Old Testament and it talks about people who were amazing musicians. And uh, in fact, in the book of Amos, it talks about this. It says, you pride yourselves as being like David. You know, David was a musician and they're like, man, we're so good. We're so talented. We do such amazing music. Uh, we're, we're, we're splendid in our worship. And... Um, and actually God says to them, I hate your worship. I hate your festivals. Get them away from me. Um, you know, sometimes in the church, we can actually misunderstand what is a priority, what God cares about. Um, this happens often in worship teams and, and people who do music is you'll have these amazingly talented musicians, but they're so territorial. You'll, you'll get one person's playing the keyboard, and then the next day, they, next week, they have somebody else play the keyboard, and somebody gets mad, that's my keyboard, that's my thing, that's what I do. God hates that. When people do things, and it's about their glory, and it's about their wonder, and how amazing they are, and what is so tragic is that in so many churches, gifts are used, and it is all about the person using the gift. It's not about loving other people. It's all about putting me forward. It's not about loving other people. If you're a great worship leader and you play the keyboard and one day somebody else plays the keyboard and everybody's like, that was the best keyboard I have ever heard. See, a person using their gifts in love would be so happy to hear somebody saying, that somebody else did a great job. They would not say, oh man, they didn't say that about me. They weren't excited when I played. Oh, what if they want them to do it instead of me? You know, I was thinking about like playing worship and doing those kinds of things and, and I was walking down the street and I saw this guy and he's like on the side of the road with a little hat and he's playing music, he's playing his guitar. He is so desperate to have a crowd that he actually will just play. He loves playing and he wants people to hear him. And he's actually just happy to play for people walking down the street. Um, you wanna know something? I could go to that guy and I could say, hey, come to our church and um, you're gonna have to give me a hundred bucks a week. But if you give me a hundred bucks a week and if you play these songs and if you dress in this way, you can have 150 people a week to hear you play your music. You want to know something? That guy would pay me to come stand in front of this church and have a crowd that he can play in front of. There are all kinds of people that use gifts, not because they love people, not because they want to serve the Lord, but because it's for their ego. And what God says is, I don't care how talented you are, 
I don't care how good you are at what you do. If you don't have love, you are a clanging cymbal. You are a noisy gong. And you know what? You take a step back. There is so much division and conflict. In fact, you go to pastor's conferences, you go places, and everybody says, man, the worship team, that's where the headaches come from. By the way, we're, we're not having any problems with our worship team. <laughs> but you want to know why that is? It's people who are talented, who are self-centered, who don't love other people. Hey, my instrument's not being heard. All kinds of problems when you stick people up front. Satan uses those kind of things to manipulate people. And God just says here, I don't care how talented you are. If you don't have love, you are a noisy gong. He goes on, he says some other radical things. If I have all prophetic powers, that's to be able to tell the future. That, that's when God speaks to a person and reveals the future. That is so amazing. And we've read about that happening in Scripture. If I understand all mysteries, that, that's like Daniel where, where like there's this mystery or these people in the Old Testament that were just so wise that God would reveal things to. So if they could tell the future, if they understand mysteries, man, something nobody can figure out and they know the answer to it. If they have all knowledge. Now, this is a crazy thing. When it goes through spiritual gifts, now, one of the things that it says in spiritual gifts is that without knowledge, there is no edification. And Paul actually says right before he gets here, he's going to say that your gifts have to do with teaching people truth about what God says. And if you're not teaching truth, this is like part of how we work through the whole thing on tongues. And is it this private prayer language that nobody knows what it means? Paul actually says, if you speak in tongues, there has to be an interpreter because without knowledge, there is no edification and all gifts have the purpose of edification. And so what he's going to say here is, if you have prophecy, if you have all wisdom to understand uh, mysteries, if you have all knowledge, these are major significant things in Scripture. And Paul says, if you don't have love, you are nothing radical. And then he's about to say something else that is, man, it's just unthinkable. Listen, listen to this. If I give away all I have, I mean, that's pretty significant, right? I mean, when we heard the parable of the rich man and Jesus says, he says, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, go give away everything you have and come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the guy goes away sad. <laughs> all right. Have you ever read that story and thought to yourself, I'm glad that wasn't me? Have you ever thought to yourself, if Jesus asked me to, would I actually give away everything I have? Like that is radical. He goes on and the next thing he says, if I deliver up my body to be burned. See, Jesus says that if you follow him, if you become a Christian, that you need to take up your cross daily. That means you die to yourself, but it also means that you are willing to give up your life. In the New Testament period, 
um, they found uh, Christians and they actually chopped their heads off for being Christians. Uh, they beat them to death with clubs. Um, in the early church, if you were a Christian, Nero would just go find you and he would take you, dip you in oil, tie you to a pole, stick it on the side of the road and light you on fire for a street light. They would go find Christians and they would go stick them out into a big auditorium and then everybody would hang out and watch animals eat them, tear them apart, kill them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're following God and and Nebuchadnezzar says, you bow down and worship my idol or you're going in the furnace. And they said, okay, throw me in. Um, Daniel, they tell Daniel, no more prayer. And uh, you pray, that's it for you. Daniel opens up his windows and he prays like he always prays. Then they take him over to a pit full of hungry lions and they throw him in. And we know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the story of Daniel and how God miraculously saved them. But Hebrews chapter 11 talks about faithful people who would not compromise, who God didn't save. They took a prophet, stuck him in a log, and sawed him in half. So pretty radical. God tells us that we need to be willing to die for Christ. And what Jesus says what Paul says right here is if you give your body to be burned, but you don't have love, it profits you nothing. Um, I think that God's love is pretty significant and pretty important. And, and what I think is tragic is that Christian marriages don't display love the way God says it's supposed to be displayed. Christian churches, they don't display love the way God says that it's supposed to be displayed. In families, brothers and sisters hate each other. Like I remember one time when John and Jackson were little, and John just says, man, Dad, I hate Jackson. And, and I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, man, Jackson, he was this hyperactive little kid that was, in many cases, very aggravating. <laughs> and so I'm just thinking, man, the, the kid lives with his brother. I mean, they're in close proximity, and he's just like, Dad, I, I hate Jackson. And, and I actually just grabbed the verse, and I said, really? And I said, um, so, John, are you a Christian? And he's like, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you love God? Yeah. I said, no, actually, you don't. He's like, what are you talking about? Of course I love God. I just read him a verse that says, if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, you cannot love God whom you haven't seen. Can, can I just tell you how many moms and dads that I hear talking about their kids who say things like kids don't get along, kids just don't like each other, oh, it's natural, normal, all the grow out of it. Um, that is so divorced from what a Christian family should be like. And moms and dads have a purpose to know what God says about love, to live that out in their life, and to teach their kids to live that out. Um, when uh, we, we, brain, we brainwashed our kids. So when Jessica was small, she's growing up, and Michelle always said, oh, that's your best friend, Julianne. 
Like she barely knew what best friend was. All Jessica ever knew growing up was that Julianne was her best friend. Oh, no, that's your best friend. Yeah, that's your, that's your best friend. And all she ever, and what she told Julianne, as soon as Julianne was learning to talk, she learned to say, my best friend, Julianne. Jessica, thank you. <laughs> hey, we struggle with this whole love thing. Um, but one of the things that God requires of us is to understand what he says, to live it out, and then to teach our kids what God says. And the world says, oh, no, people fight. They have conflict. They don't like each other. And we just grab a hold of these lies that Satan tells, and we live them out. So love is not the only thing that matters. Worship, um, knowledge, sacrifice for Christ, those are all things that God wants. But the main ingredient in every one of those things is love. So, um, okay, that was just the first point. <laughs> Love's important. It's essential. How about number two? True love is definable. You know what it is. I'll never forget I was having a conversation with somebody one day, and they just said, um, <laughs> it, was like, it was like these people, they were talking about their marriage. It was like there was an affair going on. And somebody's like, oh, yeah, I'm having an affair. I'm not really willing to stop doing that, but I, I really do love my wife. And the wife's like, man, I just I don't feel like he loves me. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm in love with you. And while he carries on an affair with someone else. Can I just tell you something? That is not love. We can say, no, you don't love her. Um, that's not love. Oh, no, no, but I, I have feelings. I mean, if it just it feels so right, you know, and, and if it feels so right, it just can't be wrong. It is not love if it doesn't mean that meet the definitions that God puts in Scripture. So it's, it's definable. Uh, we say all kinds of crazy things. Have you ever heard this? Uh, I love you. I just don't like you. You ever hear that? Um, we're in love. We had love at first sight. We, we fell in love. Well, I, I fell out of love. Well, I fell into love with someone else. Like, you ever hear these kind of statements? That is not biblical love. So let's look at it. A biblical love, which is true love, is not divorced from emotions, but it's also not defined or driven by emotions. I want you to look at uh, Philippians 2, and I want you to know that, that love is definable, but love includes how you feel. And we don't always feel the way we should, but it is our job to work on feeling the way God tells us to feel about the things that we're supposed to feel certain ways about. So, passion in marriage. If you have no passion in your marriage, you need to work on getting some passion in your marriage. That's one of the things God wants for you. I want you to look at this. Um, there, there are so many people that say love is an action. It's a commitment. It, it is not based at all on feelings. And they say that as though our lives are divorced from how we feel. And I want to just say this to you. That is not how Jesus lived his life. Divorced from feelings. And that is as you read the New Testament, not what God says and not how he appeals to us or speaks to us. Um, look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, participation in the Spirit, any affection, 
That's an emotion word. Any sympathy, that is an emotion word. Make my joy. There's an there's a, there's a emotional element of joy. By being of the same mind, having the same what? Love. Having the same love. Being in full accord of one mind. You know, Paul appeals to our emotions, to what we think and how we feel. It's not feelings in isolation, but it is feelings along with truth. Love and truth are never separated. And he appeals to those things, and then he says something. It's an action. It's an action and it's thinking. Look at this. Do. That's an action. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count. That is a thinking word. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look out to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we're going to read a list of 13 things. We're going to read them quick. We're going to think briefly about what they are. And here's the thing you need to know. If you just grab these 13 qualities... They are defined and described and communicated throughout Scripture. This is not like the one place of love. Love is such a major thing for Christians. We find it everywhere. So let's look at these 13 qualities of love. Let's just read it. And then we're going to speed through it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. That's love. And I just want to tell you, um, go watch the movies. And that's not what you see described. Go talk to anybody in our culture, in our world. That is not what you see. You see these two people who just say, we love each other. And that is not how their relationship is described. That does not define them. Oh, I mean, we're in love with each other. I mean, you'll have these two people that, man, they just met. They're so passionate. I mean, I remember this happened to me when I was in, when I was in high school. So I hated school. You know, it's like, man, it was like the worst thing. It was this thing I just had to endure. I remember speaking to my guidance counselor, and we're talking about jobs. And I said, hey, uh, they're trying to help me do some career planning. And I said, if you do me a favor, you got a list of jobs that don't require school because I hate school. I'll just pick something on a list that doesn't mean I have to go back to school. And isn't it weird how God works? As soon as I figured out what the Lord wanted me to do, I had to go back to school. And... Um, But you want to know something, I hated school, but it was really weird because I remember one day I just really started looking forward to getting dressed and going to school. And I thought, man, I can't wait to get to school. And I thought, now this is weird. Why am I thinking about like this? And it was because it was this girl in my English class and I thought she was kind of cute and I was looking forward to getting into class and sitting next to her and talking to her. And it's not that those kind of feelings have nothing to do with love, but that is not love. Um, That's, anyway, we'll continue on. So as you think about this list, I want to just say this, um, that we need habits. 
We need to be trained. We need to be constantly reining ourselves in. We need to be saying, this is what God says love is. I'm gonna diligently do this. I'm gonna practice it. I'm gonna work on it until it becomes a habit. That's how Christians live their life. They don't just go, oh, what comes natural? What do I do without thinking about it? No, Christians say, God, what do you say I should do? How should I think? How should I feel? What should I do? Hey, it's overwhelming. There's just too much. Okay, I'm gonna pick one thing and I'm just gonna work on that. And I'm going to practice that until it becomes a habit. And then I'm going to pick the next thing and I'm going to work on that. And I'm going to practice it until it becomes a habit. And then I'm going to think to myself, man, I've grown up my whole life not knowing how to love people. When I read 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not a very loving person. And, and I just think about, man, I'm, I'm like 30 or I'm 40 or I'm 50 or I'm 25. And man, I have not been working on this at all. And so I'm going to do my kids a favor. I'm not going to let them be 20 before they start working on this. When, when little Johnny comes home and, and his sister's playing with the toy and, and he just walks over and grabs it, I'm going to start teaching that kid what love is. No, this is what God says. This is how you behave. And sometimes kids aren't motivated. And we'll tell them what God says. They don't care about what God says. And part of parenting is we help our kids be motivated. So when I tell my kids, you need to love your sibling, and they don't care about that. <laughs> I just want you to know, I got lots of ways to make my kids care about that. And, and this is a whole different topic, but parenting nowadays is a disaster because parents have no idea what they're supposed to be doing with their kids. They have no idea how to do it. And if you watch Oprah, it's a guarantee you're not going to know how to be a parent. But you don't wait until your kids are 20. You start when they're two, when they're three, and you help them develop these habits and to understand what God says about life. And by the way, it is not just moms and dads. That's what we do in Sunday school. We are teaching kids what God says. When you get these three kids that come into Sunday school and one of them starts grabbing the paper from the kid next to them, what are we doing? We are teaching kids what God says. We are teaching them how to behave so that when they're 30, they're not starting from square one. It's what we do in youth group. It's what we do in the college ministry. It's what we do in young marriage classes is we are teaching people to be who God wants them to be, which, by the way, is why we're not shutting down the church because of COVID, because these kinds of things cannot wait. And we have whole churches of people who would rather go skiing on a weekend than to show up to church and figure out who God wants them to be. And we got churches and people are just happy to shut down. And it's because everyone's forgotten why we are here and what God has called us to. And we have marriage Bible studies. And we have, there's, there's Bible studies all over the place where you can get a, a group of women together or a group of men together and they'll talk about what idiots their spouses are and everybody will encourage them, yeah, you should get a divorce. Go find a new one. Don't put up with that. And can I just tell you, that happens in churches. Instead of everybody sitting around and saying, ah, oh, you're frustrated with your spouse. 
I understand. Man, that's terrible. I've been frustrated with my spouse. These things you're saying, oh, man, that that, that, that might just drive you crazy. But can I tell you what God says about how you're supposed to think and respond to that? That is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're married to a man who's disobedient to God, you win him over without a word by your chaste and respectful behavior. And when some man's sitting around, my wife, she's a nightmare. You have no idea what I'm dealing with. Hey, our heart goes out to him. Because every once in a while, we've felt that way. And then we read what it says in Ephesians 5 about husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. And sacrificed and gave himself up for her and gave up his life for her. And we call it Bible studies and we gather up people to just like say the most ridiculous things that are satanic. And instead of confronting it, we just sit around and listen to it and we allow it to influence us. If you are in a group of people like that, quit going. And as a church, we need to be a church that knows what God says and is encouraging and helping each other to obey what God says. And we do it with our kids and we're doing it with each other and and we need it. We need people around us who are helping us with it. So there are uh, 15 statements here, seven positive and eight negative. So love is patient and love is kind. Patience is long-tempered. It's slow to become resentful. It's, it's, um, It's not, it doesn't retaliate. It's patience. Can I just tell you, God is patient with you. He's patient. We read scripture. We see how patient God is. Love is patient. And so in your marriage, are you patient with your kids? Are you patient when you come to church? Are you patient? Because that is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness is proactive goodness. It's intentional. It's useful. It's serving. It's gracious. Love is kind. Love is patient and love is kind. Um, That's caring about other people. And I just want you to know something. Jesus didn't go through life and they brought some person who needed to be healed and he's like, yeah, I really have no feelings towards you at all, but um, you can't walk and you're blind or your kid's dying or, you know, and I don't really care actually, but I do know God says I'm here and I should do some stuff for you, so I heal you. You know, how many times Jesus sees people and when he sees what's going on in their life, he feels compassion for them. And then he is kind to them. Now, we don't wait until we feel compassion, but we don't just go, yeah, compassion's got nothing to do with it. No. If you look at people at need, if you look at your family, and if you don't have compassion for them, you need to change how you think. You need to change how you feel. You need to have emotions that help you behave the way God tells you to behave. And so um, we're not these emotionless people, but we also don't say, I'm not doing anything until I feel compassion. We are patient and we are kind because God tells us to be. Love does not envy. 
It does not boast, it is not arrogant, and it is not rude. All of those things say, I matter, you don't. Um, envy, jealousy. That's when somebody else gets credit and you think, ah, I should have that credit. You know, I'll just say one of the most destructive things I've seen in parenting is parents who are jealous. Uh, parents who envy. This happens a lot in divorces. And it's one of the worst things that happen is you got mom saying, I want the kids to like me more than him. And you got dad saying, I want the kids to like me more than him. And you got two parents that are not saying, I love my kids. And the more they love their, their other parent, the better that is for them. And they're not saying, um, I love my spouse and I want my kids to love him. Though if they love him more than me, awesome. And you have these people that are competing for the affection of their kids because they're selfish. They envy. When somebody else gets a bigger house, why do they have that house? Somebody else has a, has a car that they don't have or a job that, why don't I have that? They envy. And um, in addition, love is not arrogant. That's I know everything. Everything is about me. I don't listen. I just talk. When another person is talking, they're trying to communicate something. You're not trying to understand. You think I know everything and you know nothing. Or boasting. How can I promote myself and say how great I am? Instead of promoting the people that God's put around. Or rude. Uh, that's just, like, have you ever been, somebody's been rude to you? It's like they just dismiss you. You're unimportant. They're just rude. Rude is self-centered. It is not caring. It's not thinking about how does this other person feel. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or easily angered. Okay, are you described by not being irritable? Um, resentful. That's keeping track of everything that everybody's done and being mad at them. I've seen churches destroyed because somebody gets offended in a church. Somebody's confronted about something that they shouldn't do. And they're just like, oh, man, somebody told me I shouldn't do this, and I'm mad at that person, and I hate that person. But I can't really come out with it right now. That's not going to work. And so they just sit and behind the scenes. They try to get back at that other person. Uh, how can I plan? Oh, oh, Joe seems like he's mad at that person. This is my per. Usually Joe likes them, but now they kind of seem irritated. I think something happened. And then you go plant some seeds and try to, uh, try to create some division. Oh, this person doesn't like them. Can I get them against them? You know, there's a lot of churches that don't grow, and it's not because they don't have the best programs and spectacular things. It's because they're fleshly and they're carnal, and they got a bunch of people who don't love each other. It's like that, self-centered, irritable, resentful. Um, I'll tell you something else. Love does not um, rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You know, love does not replace what God said. It doesn't discount what God said. It doesn't dis dismiss it. It doesn't supersede it. Rightly defined love lives out God's truth. You know, I've heard, th this is, I think, the most abused thing in Scripture. Hey, God calls us to love people. Love's the greatest command. How can I look at a person who says they love somebody who God says they're not supposed to love? And there's all kinds of things we could put in that category. Well, I'm married to this lady, but I love that lady. Um, we could put how many things in this category, 
And you have churches that say, no, love is our, our prevailing law. It's love that is what we do. No. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Um, love doesn't discount Scripture. Love is Scripture. When Jesus said that loving God and loving others is the summary of the whole law, that does not mean well, as long as I love other people, I love this lady that I'm not married to, and she's married to someone else, but I love her and she loves me, and that's the primary law. And so who cares how it hurts her kids, her husband, her neighbors, her family? Who cares how it hurts my wife, my kids, and, these, and everybody in my family? Who cares about that? It's just, do I love her and that's the rule? No. If you love God, you will automatically obey all the Ten Commandments. Have no gods before me. You don't do that when you love God. Have no idols. Take my name in vain. Not honor the Sabbath. None of those things happen if you love God. If you love others, you will honor your father and mother because you love them. You will not kill another person because you love them. You will not commit adultery because you love people and you know that even the person I'm committing adultery with, I am harming that person. If you love people, you will not do that. You will not steal from somebody you love. You will not lie about somebody that you love. You will not covet what somebody else has if you love them. We live in a culture that says love means we disregard what God says. No. If you love people, you will do what God says. Um, when we love our kids, we don't help our kids sin. My kid wants to sin and he feels like his life will be over if he can't have this sin. So I'm going to help them sin. No. Um, when, when we have kids like, I have to have this toy. Give me this toy. No. We know if we love our kids, we train our kids to think and behave the way God tells them to think and behave. It's like Jonah drowning. When God's drowning somebody for disobedience to get their attention, we don't run over and save them. Um, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. And it hopes all things. And if I love you, I'm going to bring this sermon to a close, even though I got a lot left to say. <laughs> so let's at least read the rest of this passage. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in, prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. And we're going to see God face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully 
even as I have been fully known. Do you think about how relational that is? That's why knowledge passes away. God's going to give us knowledge. But it says, as I have been fully known, we are going to see God face to face. God knows us. God loves us. God cares about us. And, And that's what Paul's looking for. And now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So um, here's how I'm going to wrap all this up. We need love. You need love. And, and what I want to encourage you is there are some people, they, they read what the Bible says about love and they just dismiss it. I want to say, do not do that. God has told us what love is and he has told us what to be like. Do not disregard what God says in your life ever. Don't say, oh, this is too hard. I can't do it. Secondly is if you're thinking about all the people around you and how they're not loving you the way that they're supposed to be loving you, this is for you. You need to love other people. Did you know that the Bible never says you need love? You need to give love. You don't need to get love from anyone. There's a whole book written about how if I don't get respect as a man, then I can't function rightly. And if I don't love my wife, she can't function rightly. Wrong. You need to give love. You don't need to get love. Um, the, the third thing is that if you feel overwhelmed and discouraged, could you just go, hey, I haven't done this. I don't live this out. I haven't been practicing very much. Uh, that's a wake-up call. Because as believers, we ought to read the Bible. We ought to know what it says. We ought to work on it. Number two, isn't it encouraging that you are not accepted because of your performance? If you are not good at loving people, guess what? Jesus was perfect for you. Our right standing before God is because of Jesus. It's not because of our behavior. So we're, all, we're good. Jesus is there for us. He was righteous for us. You have the person of the Holy Spirit. You know the very first thing on the the fruits of the Holy Spirit is love. God has given you the Holy Spirit. This may feel impossible, but the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the very first thing he will do is help you love the way God tells you to. And if you look at your life and you're discouraged, take a step back and say, I am going to help my grandkids not be starting to work on this when they're 50. If you have kids, I am not going to wait until my kids are 30 for them to start working on this. I'm starting right now. And I do want to tell you something else. There is a love you need. You need God's love. And what I want to encourage you is you have God's love. And that's the only love you really need. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Lord, the the world has so messed up the the definition of love. Lord, this quality of love, it is essential, and yet so many times it is so missing. God, I pray that you would help us to love you with all of our heart, that we would love our neighbors as ourself. Lord, that, that through the Holy Spirit, you would empower us to love people the way we should love people. And so, Lord, thank you for your kindness that we're not trying to earn favor. Lord, we're okay. We got lots of problems, but it's okay because you love us. You died for us. You will strengthen us. You will forgive us. And, Lord, we forgive each other. We love you in your name. Amen.